Welcome to Engineering Experience, where engineering thought leaders share insight on how to deliver results, manage outsourcing, find the right engineering partners, maximize experience, generate engineering documents, and come out with smarter and improved products through innovation and invention. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Engineering Experience, a podcast brought to you by Paragon Innovations and the next generation of energy brought to you by Rosewater Energy. We're doing a crossover episode because we really wanted to get these two guys on the same podcast. That is Joe Piccarilli of Rosewater and Mike Wilkinson of Paragon. Why? Well, these guys have a ton of experience in their respective industries, but also they have something in common, and that is they're both impacted by the global chip shortage. It's something that's been going on for the last couple of years as a result of COVID-19. But both of these guys have so much experience in their industries that we thought it would be great if they sat down and had a conversation about how they've innovated around these challenges, the different things that they want customers and consumers to know about the global chip shortage and what they think the future looks like and how we get out of this thing. And so this is a really fascinating and incredible conversation, honestly, because these guys had never met before. But as you'll find out as you watch through this episode or listen through it, depending on how you're consuming uh, this particular piece of content, uh, these guys get along swimmingly and have a lot of insights to share. So sit back and enjoy this crossover episode of each of these podcasts and enjoy the ride. All right. So Joe and Mike, obviously, this is something that uh, anybody that's been following the news over the last couple of years, especially if they're interested at all in any kind of technology or even automobiles. Uh, one of the things that's been discussed quite a bit is the semiconductor chip shortage. Uh, so from from each of your perspectives, Mike, I want to hear from you first, uh, since this is this is really an area where you spend a lot of time. What impact has this had on, on what you do there at Paragon? It's pretty devastating. I mean, Components are just not available. Any flavor, it doesn't matter if it's a you know chip that we all think about, like a microprocessor that goes in a car or something, or if it's resistors and capacitors, even the simplest what we call popcorn parts. Can you imagine going to a Home Depot and there's no nails or screws uh, or some odd sizes? I mean, that's really what we're talking about. And so the challenge is to how do you design new products and keep going um, with a shortage of parts? I mean, you got to pick the parts and then. So what we're actually telling customers to do is buy the parts first, then we'll design it. And I know that's completely backwards. Yeah, no, that, absolutely. Joe, what about you uh, from your perspective at Rosewater? How has this had an impact on, on, on you and what you're doing? I must tell you, I love Mike's Home Depot analogy because I live in that world. I, I've had a product, as, as, uh, you know, and our current product has been on the shelf now for, we've been marketing it almost five years. And there is, I have an existing product we're selling it, of course, getting the parts for the existing product that everybody knows what that part list is. And I order them a year out and it's still painful. And, and when you couple that with, I have a new product in development that was supposed to be done, oh, 16 months ago. <laughs> it's the same thing. You know, had I had, had I could have just, just guessed what parts were necessary, I might be further along. But, and I hear the same thing, you know, Mike was talking about nails and this and that. And I'm going, it's the simple things like breakers. And, and then God forbid the, the microprocessors and my controllers, forget those. It's like, it's like out of control. And it's embarrassing from my point of view as, you know, I sell this finished product and it's, I keep promising people, oh yeah, you know, they're, they're guaranteeing me, you know, end of 2021, which was only a year late. <laughs> it's like now I'll be lucky to get it done, you know, end of 2022. 
Uh, it's in the, the drag, and I'd love to hear what Mike, how Mike's experience is. Nobody has an answer. Nobody. Every every deadline is just a guess. It's making me crazy. Well, I have some more insight now that we are acquired by TTI, which is one of the largest uh, component distributors and uh, probably the only one left st to stocking distributor. And my sister company is also Mauser. So, you know, I'm, um, and, and I've been going to a bunch of meetings and we've had national sales meetings and I'm learning more about the component business from the inside. Um, and here's the deal. Um, so when you get promised 52 weeks, that's because the, the manufacturer of the part has told the distributor that. Well, the problem is then the manufacturer comes up short. So let's say 100,000 pieces were promised. Um, and then you only get 80,000 that were given to the distributor. Well, now they've promised those 100,000 to a bunch of customers. And so what ends up happening is the actual employees of the distributor, your rep, gets into these allocation fights. I mean, it's, it's a, I won't say it's a brawl, but it's a, no, those are for my customer. No, they're for my customer. There's just back and forth. And, and you have to fight for your parts that you've already promised. And, and it's um, it's 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 a difficult process for them to decide who gets rations um, of parts. It it's a it's a mess. Um, I, I can't I can't I can't express it enough. Well, uh, you know, it, I look at it and I, I keep going. Well, can we engineer around? And the, there's only so much you can engineer around without compromising the quality of the product. And because of the market position that Rosewater holds, I mean, we are at the very top of the market with our product and our our tagline is Rosewater is simply the best. I can't, can't compromise the quality. I just can't. And it really leads to difficult, difficult decision processes. And, you know, fortunately, well, I, fortunately may be a bad choice of words. The entire business community is suffering this. And a lot of our business is new construction and remodeling. It goes into those. And of course my projects are delayed. So, you know, with a little luck, we'll get the timing right. But my great fear is one day I, somebody will open up the dam and I will get, you know, all this product I have on back order and no place to put it because the houses aren't done. But, you know, because people go, oh, yeah, you can just engineer around it as if that's some, you know, you can just do that like nothing. Well, no. No. And, and so a little difference between housing and, and uh, circuit board design is the following. Um, if we're missing one part out of the 500 parts on a board, we can't build a board. We're done. So, you know, at least with a house, I'm trying to, trying to you know, play that up. With a house, I if I'm missing one toilet, I can still build the rest of the house. We just don't have bathroom number six. <laughs> in, in my case, my product goes in as part of the finishing of the house because I am the last piece. I protect all of the electronics in the house. So they want to put my piece in last. So it's like if they're missing, if if the owners aren't moving in because they're missing a toilet, my product doesn't go. It's ah, weird. okay. It's weird, and all it, right. it it is it has been the most interesting two years of juggling. I mean, I've never seen problems like this. So we've actually seen a record increase in new business. So what's happening is it, it's 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 kind of like the toilet paper problem. So um, there's people who well. It's worse because the toilet paper nobody was using more. They just started hoarding it. So we've seen already in the in the earliest parts of the pandemic, we saw people hoarding parts. Um, won't name names, but some large large well known companies started hoarding 
their parts. They had, you know, 12-month deliverable schedule, and they brought it all in and said, we'll bring them all in now because they wanted to have possession so they wouldn't have allocation problems later. I mean, they were, they were smart in that respect, but they caused more harm to others. Well, fast forward, now we've got people wanting to get development done and more and more products. And so we're busy, busy, busy. But that said, you said, how do, how do we design something around that with and keep quality? Well, part of it is about kind of thinking outside the box on the design. So if we can have multiple parts that fit in the same spot or put their pad patterns, as we call them, um, co-located. In fact, I've given a talk on this here in a, in a conference here in a, a month. And, you know, the different things you can do to engineer and get that product with multiple options. So I, I can work with, if you were talking about hardware store stuff, I can use this screw or that screw or that nail and all fits in the same spot. Um, then I, I'm, I've got three ways to solve my problem if, if, they, if these other two aren't available. And we're, we're doing that with virtually everything. And it's, it's not easy. No, I, I, I think that problem is extremely hard. And I, I give you huge props for being able to design and think that way, because I am running into that, you know, the, the engineering roadblock where, okay, Joe, in order to get your design to do what you want it to do, this is your path. And then the paths are described singularly. It's the only path. And I don't have enough background in parts acquisition, circuit board manufacturing, all that to say, oh, no, you can do better. <laughs> I just I don't have that background. And I, I think that makes it very difficult for all of us on my side of the fence to not get really frustrated. What do you need? You're 18 months late and now you're telling me you need another 12. <laughs> I just can't. The only saving grace I see right now is that the whole world knows there's component shortage. And so I don't have complaints from customers saying, what do you mean you can't get parts? You know, they, they understand that's the primary problem. But even with that said, I've got, I've got a couple of really good customers that just won't order the parts. And, and one in particular, we've had to make significant design changes. We were done, done with regulatory, done, go to production. And we've been telling them to buy parts all along and they waited until then to order. And now they have these long lead times. So we've had to go and design out parts, design other parts in, go through another design cycle, more money, more regulatory expense. And, and this particular customer I'm thinking of, they still haven't bought the parts. We're going to do this again. Uh, it, it's some habits are just impossible for people to change. And, and I, you know, like you for my finished product, the demand continues to grow. It's amazing how many orders I have. And, and that's, the frightening part, if the all of a sudden the attitude changes where people are are no longer forgiving about lead times or all of a sudden one part of this very delicate ecosystem gets finished, starts to get meet deadlines and my product is not met deadlines, then I get I'm in real trouble. And, and, and the hard part, and you'd think after all my years, I would learn this but really trying to manage people's expectations. I mean, I, I keep telling people now. I had a call yesterday. Well, my project is, is two years out. When do you think I should order? I'm going yesterday. Yeah, you're late. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can't. You, know, you got to send a deposit now. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, your project's not two years out. Your project's two and a half years out because you haven't ordered parts yet. Yeah, exactly. That's a better line. I think you're that, late. I'll be using that one because it, it is. 
and and you know i don't mean to make light of it because it frustrates me on a daily basis and i'm sure it frustrates my dealers and my clients and my end users but there is no source of information i don't know about you mike but and you may know way more than i do here is every time i read a report every time god forbid i listen to a news broadcast nobody has any idea when this is going to lighten up yeah well my boss michael knight is uh well noted in the industry for um uh, following trends and keeping up with trends and knowing what the trends are going to be and he's been following this very closely and uh you know the large very large companies hire him or bring him in to talk about supply chain and what's going to happen and you know even his crystal ball is looking at you know we're not we're talking at you know 2023 2024 before we might see some reprieve and and part of this is is that we can't build new silicon fab you know things that you know uh factories that make chips we can't do that until uh you know it takes two three years minimum and billions of dollars per plant and so even though there's some like ti's got some happening here in texas um we're not going to see the fruits of that until 2025 2026. wow wow so even even bringing on bringing on new fabs was decided too late basically yeah i mean and they're still doing it because they uh believe it's not a bubble i mean if that if that doesn't scare you i mean if it's a bubble then they wouldn't build new fabs but everybody believes we're just going to use more and more and more chips it's it's incredible and you look at the stats i mean my boss has a presentation last week and oh my god uh you know, trillion plus trips, a trillion plus chips produced every year. I mean, just an insane number of parts. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. I look at it again. My product is is geared for residential and light commercial. And and when I designed this product, it was designed with the projection in mind that houses are going to get loaded with microprocessors. And microprocessors like constant voltage, constant current. Uh, they last longer, they perform better, all of that. And I look at what has happened in a residential building from, call it the year 2000, when the only processors were built into your digital clocks, you know, with timers. And now all the lighting, all the shade, all the networking, you know, all the environmental controls. Even plumbing fixtures have microprocessors. So it is incredible. The, the growth of microprocessors is crazy. It's just crazy. You know, a house went from a couple to a few hundred. Yeah. But same with the car. The car's got tons of processors in it. You know, we used to think about you know, the, the the engine computer, the ECU. Well, yes. Yeah, that's just one. And and now I look at it. There's this trend in residential called wellness home. And it is a home with sensors everywhere that sense air it senses air quality by room, sensors water quality 24-7. So it's it's sensing all environmental factors within the house. Can you imagine how many more microprocessors and sensors that's Oh yeah. It's it's insane. Well, the the good news is that's my world and IoT or Internet of Things, which is all this sensing and communicating back to the um is uh, right down our alley. And so we're we're excited about a lot of this. I think a lot of this is going to be a fad-like. Like, we've had people come to us with want to have wireless dental floss. Okay. <laughs> it's a little over. I'm not joking. So that's crazy. Uh, you know that. But, you know, uh, other things don't, don't aren't, aren't as crazy, like a wireless toothbrush. You go, well, that sounds stupid. But 
you we've got them and then they're not uh, talking to a network but they are for kids to get them into a two-minute habit and play a song if they can bleed and you know so we're and then when you talk about sensors throughout the hvac system in your home wow we're going to see a lot and i think some of it's going to um you know we're going to we're going to end up dropping some of these and not be real popular but it's going to take a while to figure out same with the faucets i was at consumer electronics show in vegas at the beginning of the year and you know color and everybody's got their faucets and you know they'll fill up your glass and they'll fill up your your baby formula thing to one ounce it's all alexa driven and i think you know in my opinion and i'm a techie i think some of that's going to go away in that i just want to turn the faucet on and fill up my cup i don't need for it to know it eight ounces because i'm going to slip and move my cup around and now it won't fill the cup and then i gotta go turn it back on and bleh. You know, some, my children would call you a dinosaur because that's what they call me all the time. So, but it is, it is true. It, it will shake out that, you know, some of these things will, will be just fads, but there is no doubt that the number of microprocessors are going to continue to explode at an exponential level. I mean, I, I am, I, I'm just shocked at how many things like, you know, even the, to be able to wave your hand across the faucet to turn it on, which is kind of cool if it works, uh, but that requires a sensor and a processor to do. You, know, you can't do it without it. Well, you hit on a key word, exponential. So the group that I'm in within the TTI family with thousands of employees is the exponential technology group. And um, Michael Knight leads that. And his whole discussion about why the name um, and why exponential is, is just that there's this exponential growth of everything around us and, and semiconductors. And so that's the mantras, you know, exponential. How do we get on there? How do we do more of this? How do we get more market share of this exponential growth? Yes. And, and there, there is no doubt that that's happening. There is no doubt. You know, again, as, as we were talking, as I was talking earlier, my, my product guarantees perfect power my you you have my product doesn't matter what the utility does doesn't matter if there's an outage and now the number of people who are interested in that because their houses have so many microprocessors in them and the consequence of microprocessor failure is significant is a has a significant impact on their lives it is amazing because you know people are out there and they will invest significant dollars to make sure that their stuff runs all the time. And from what you're seeing, it's only going to get worse because they're going to have more and more and more and more. I mean, I, I think as much as I love all the technology, there are some times where I just miss a light switch. You're talking about the house. Here's when it's going to catch us. So we have the power grid and we have three power grids in the US, the East, the West, and then of course, Texas. Um, and so, which is really cool. But the problem is, we're, I don't know if we're going to be able to keep up with that. We've been used to having these things called fuel stations, gas stations at every corner. And they, they, uh, they, they are the one where we get a lot of power that goes into our vehicle. Well, now we're talking about electric vehicles and we're talking about chargers at home. Well, suddenly we have these big charging stations at home. Do we have the grid to support that? I mean, your average home may have 150, 200 amp service into the home, but suddenly it might need to be, you know, uh, 250, maybe more, 300. And if you do that, do, do we have enough power grid to support that? I mean, when, this, when the people planned out a city, I'm not sure we thought through the idea that gas stations were all going to be co-located with your home. 
I think you're absolutely right. I sat in uh, on a discussion at a utility and they, they took it from the standpoint of the transformers. Transformers in general in neighborhoods feed six to eight houses. If half of those houses has a charger, car charger, the transformer will not be able to supply it. Not to mention, not just what's feeding the transformer, the transformer itself will be overloaded. I, I don't think anybody is ready for what is going to happen because where are you going to get all the power? Uh, we're going to get the copper to make those transformers. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, people go, well, you know, we'll just get it from the sun. And I'm going, whoa, let's do the math. Yeah. And that's a common misconception is, um, I mean, I love solar, I love wind, and those are great, but solar only works half the time. Uh, but thanks to our sun kind of rolling around and, you know, the, our planet move, moving around the sun, I should say. But, um, and then wind is, um, you know, it depends on when it's windy and it doesn't always match our demand. So I think they're going to be great power sources, but we're going to always have to have something that we can control the dial and turn up, turn down as demand is required. You know, in Texas, it could be a hot, no wind, cloudy day. That never happens in Texas, does it? Yeah. No. <laughs> No, it, it's interesting because I, I start from the math and if a solar panel is 20% efficient, the sun puts one kilowatt of energy per square meter on the earth under ideal conditions. So it's one square meter solar panel, 20% efficient, which is a very good one, means in one square meter, you give you get 200 watts under ideal conditions. Next time you turn on a hairdryer, look at how much it drops. Yeah, 1500 watts. Yeah, 500 to 1500 watts. So a square meter doesn't run a hairdryer. So good luck charging your car. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, the more we can store. So, you know, the, the magic would be if we had big batteries. And I know we've got batteries in cities. I know San Diego's got a uh, super mega, giga, whatever battery uh, for the, on the power grid. I don't know much else about it. But um, uh, but still, I think we're, we're just in battery technology. I mean, geez, we're just, we're, way behind the curve if we're going to go all electric. And I don't mean this as a political statement or anything else, just we, we got, it's a science and that's probably an overused word today too, but um, it, it really is. I mean, it's a math, it's simple math. The technology is far away and it, it, it's, it's so fascinating because on your side of the fence and on my side of the fence where we are, you know, supporting all of this fabulous technological innovation and we're sitting there complaining that, you know, I can't get enough microprocessors to me, even make houses more dependent on clean power. The other side is just not catching up. And that's problematic. That's really problematic. It, it, it's, it's fascinating because you, you look at it and, you know, my, my world, because right now I'm, I got to get this new product out. I got to continue to get supply of my current product. So I'm all about part shortages and, and everything else. But in the bigger picture, you know, where guys like Mike Knight is, is looking, he's got to be sitting there going, wow, there's there's this this confluence of available power and what we're producing isn't kind of matching yet. <laughs> that's a problem. That's a real problem. And that's that's a discussion for an entirely different podcast, I think, because I, I don't think people pay attention to it. Now, I don't think the average person really is attuned to um, a lot of things like this. Tyler, we've left you completely out so far. Got anything to say? <laughs> no, this, that's it's better that way. It's better that way. Trust me. No, this this is this has been great. I, I guess my 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 biggest follow up question is: given the amount of time that both of you have have been in business and, and the number of things that you've seen in your careers, how does this current situation compare to previous 
blips on the radar, spikes, low spells, whatever. How does this current situation compare? And, um, and, and what can you draw on from your previous experience going through other times that, that might be comparable or similar? Well, I'd say that for me, there was, um, I can't remember what year it was, but the, the only other time in history that I remember being a serious semiconductor shortage was when a factory in Japan burnt to the ground. And it was the factory that made the plastic that encapsulated chips. So when you think about a chip back in the through hole days, and um, it had the little you know pin sticking out of it, that plastic was a certain kind of plastic and it came from one factory for the whole world. And that was a aha moment, like, wow, I can't believe we have one factory that pretty much supplies the world in that. And so when that factory burned down, nobody can make chips at all. Um, and so that was that was a my first eye opener to that. Since then, we've had a you know, number of other you know shortages here, there, some factories that other factories that burnt down, or we've had the uh, earthquakes in Japan and China. But um, I don't recall any other time in history for me uh, in 57 years that that's been worse. It, it's definitely worse now than ever before. Yeah, I, I look at it and go, as much as the phrase is overused, this has been a perfect storm um, that I have never seen before. We've seen parts of it. You know, Mike points out a, a factory burns down and, you know, it, it, and we learn that, boy, that was a sole source. That was a really bad idea. We're not going to do that anymore. Um, you know, there's a shipping strike or there are not enough container ships. I remember shortages because they, they didn't build enough container ships to anticipate the amount of freight that was going to go across the water. And then everybody air freighted. Um, but we have had labor shortages due to COVID. We have had demand spiking up because everything wants a microprocessor now. We have had um, a situation where we have inflation where, where commodity prices are going through the roof, which makes things totally unpredictable, right? And we have factory shortages at the same time. So that confluence of events is, is like, you know, I could take a piece of it and say, oh, that looks like 1976, or that looks like 1997, that one piece, but I have never seen this convergence of factors all being negative. I mean, the positive also hurts and that's demands way up, but great, I can't supply it. So I, I would say this is pretty unprecedented. You're both innovators uh, in, in, in your respective areas. What advice might you have for other people who are innovators just the same or creators or, you know, entrepreneurs, that sort of thing. Do you have any advice for how, you know, people can navigate some of the challenges that you're seeing today, whether it's just be patient or anything else that you might be able to share? Run, Forrest, run. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think uh, patience is, patience has got to be part of it. And, and then thinking outside the box, you know, what about your products? Can you, um, you know, design differently, maybe, or combine, maybe you've got too many different products, too many different SKUs. And if you could uh, combine into one, so you're, you're that way you're, if you've got a shortage, well, I mean, it'll affect everything, but at the same time, you're not stuck with this product available today and that one tomorrow, and then not that one. Um, but it, you're gonna have to have a strategy going forward and you're gonna have to, and every business is gonna have to figure out what that strategy is. Yeah, I would concur. I would also add, you know, entrepreneurial, we as entrepreneurs tend to be 
very, very persistent because we are used to getting knocked down and we figure stand back up and say, geez, that was a right cross. I know to block that punch, you know, no. but we are, we have that perseverance and you have to maintain it. But the other difficulty in the entrepreneurial world, as I see it, we are all fairly passionate. And sometimes we let our passion manage consumer expectation. And at this point in time, you have to persevere, but you have to really be straightforward with managing your clients' expectations because it is totally unpredictable. And you know, now when I'm telling people, hey, look, if your project's two years out, order now. And I'm not sure I'll get it to you in two years. But if you don't order now, I am sure I won't. So, you know, it is, and I, I caution people sometime on projects, look, I have this right now, take it. I'll bring it to your site, I will wrap it. And we'll just leave it until my guys can come and install it. But if it's in my warehouse, it's fair game. So it better in yours. So, uh, and, and that's all I can say. It is, there's no magic bullet here. There is, you gotta, this is another obstacle, but it requires you to really manage your client's expectations because none of us know the answer. We're only guessing. Couldn't have said it better. Very well put from both of you. This has been a fascinating conversation and I'm so happy that I participated in so little of it because it was just better to hear <laughs> the two of you guys talking about uh, what you're seeing in the industry and the unprecedented nature of the things that are going on right now. So uh, it's been a pleasure. Joe Piccarelli and Mike Wilkinson, guys, thank you so much for joining us here for this special uh, combo episode of each of your podcasts and uh, sharing your insights with us. All right, thanks. Mike, a pleasure meeting you virtually. Pleasure meeting you as well. Next time I'm in Dallas, let's go to dinner. All right. Well, you, you're in town. Give me a buzz. All right. All right. All right. Thanks, Tyler.